Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Unlike other companies that I shall not name, we don't inflate our numbers. Oh, coming out hot this week, Pad. I'll tell you what, that's why we like that energy. And also to match that energy, we have a special guest host coming on the show. One of my favorite people in all podcasting, content creating, and one of my favorite podcasts on the planet. I was fortunate enough to be on the show talking about one of the most obscure 90s, 2000s Marvel comics of all time, Scroll Burgers Forever. But we now are returning the favor because, man, this guy can talk some UFC with us. He can talk some NBA. He can talk some football. This is one of our best friends here in the podcast community, and I'm super excited to have him on. It is Mike from the Multiverse of Badness. Mike, what is going on? Not a lot. I was disappointed. I felt a little bit out of my element because as soon as he was starting with the heat over there, Pad, I wanted to do the fake air horns and go, burr, 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 but I couldn't <laughs> do it. No, thank you guys for having me on. The Squirrel Kill Crew was a fun episode. The guy that actually wrote the comic book, uh, he reviewed our episode, and apparently disagreed with our um, take that it was crap. But either way, the guy's super nice, Adam Felber. But seriously, thank you guys for having me on. I love the ODPH. I'm here for Ocho Duroing and a little bit of parlaying as well. Whatever you do, I'm here for it. Thank you guys and love the show. And you guys are awesome. Oh, we appreciate the high compliments. Yeah, got to come in hot, you know, especially when I hear a certain company is boasting they have 3.5 million viewers uh, the last month when, how the fuck are you getting that number? Yeah, I know. We just like to call just that saying. what? Reasons. reasons but mike before we get going into the sports talk let's talk a little bit about your show in case somebody doesn't know about it for whatever reason because i if you don't know about the multiverse of badness we're going to fix that right now and during this episode while you're listening i don't mind if you scroll away to go hit the follow and subscribe for it because it's that damn good well thank you ken i am mike and we also have another host, Zach. We host a comic book podcast. We literally just take a comic book or a series of comic books. Uh, usually have on buddies, review them, and that is it. We talk a whole bunch of crap about it, and we usually have a good time. Literally, we try to keep it short, no more than 40, 30 minutes, somewhere around there. We realize, you know, people have a busy schedule, and maybe we're not as interesting as some podcasts like the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour that can literally put out hours and hours of content weekly that is great to listen to so we'll take our little slice of love if you can give it to us but yeah just comic book reviews and that's it and fantastic reviews mike and zach do such an amazing job i could sit there and plug them all day but listen do yourselves a favor go sign up wherever you're listening to great podcasts for go get it delivered to you with a subscribe five-star review the whole nine because they do fantastic work but that being said, I know everybody is tuned in to talk some sports, and we're here to talk it with you, so make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. They're all right there with the Public link, the Patreon link, which Mike is a very, very proud member of the Parlay Club. So happy for his support in that manner. The Parlay Points blogs, 
the directory, the classified section, which has friends of the show such as 3FN Podcast. If it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, it can be found at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media, use the hashtag ODPHpod. See, you can definitely tell I'm excited to talk because if I start stuttering a little bit, that means the energy is pumping. And obviously, we have a lot to break down in the land of sports this week. So, Pad, let's kick it off like how we do on the ODPH. It's locks and leaps time. Yeah, so we're going to start with my lock, uh, which uh, on paper, you know, I thought this would go a different way. You know, I was looking at this going, oh, you know, it's Tampa Bay. It's, you know, who's coming into the game, you know, three and two. Uh, Pittsburgh coming into the game one and four. Pittsburgh I had seen from a friend online, you know, shared their uh, injury report. I believe it was like either Friday night or Saturday night or something like that. And I'm like, holy shit. There, there was like maybe like a dozen people of varying degrees of on that injury report. And I was like, oh, so Pittsburgh's got a lot of people hurt. So the Tampa Bay should be able to pull this out. <sighs> About that. Uh, Pittsburgh won by the final score of 20 to 18. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky went 9 of 12 for 144 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Kenny Pickett went 11 of 18 for 67 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. And on the flip side, Tom Brady, 25 of 40 for 243 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Mike, your thoughts on the game? I'll give you my thoughts. Have you guys ever played a football game called Tecmo Super Bowl? Yes. yes. Okay. This reminded me of Tecmo Super Bowl when you play for the week and you hang about 70 points on a team and then you start skipping through the other games and some of them are just complete catawampus. This is one of those where I saw the final score. I was like, this has to be a misprint. No, I have no idea what the hell happened. So, yeah, Pat, I was I was in the same boat as you. So uh, inexplicable. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't make any sense. Just I, And I know there's the video going around of Tom Brady on the sideline chewing his offensive line out which boy i can't wait for the folks from bad lip reading to get a hold of that one. Oh my god that's that, gonna be epic that's gonna that's gonna be classic but i i just think it's it's again we say it week in and week out but i think it's tom brady showing his age you know has he fallen off the cliff i don't think necessarily i mean he's still thrown for 243 you know in a touchdown no interceptions but it's a combo of tom getting older and just listen godwin and evans are great receivers let's not get it twisted but they're downfield guys he doesn't have anybody to go into the middle into the heart of the defense and and really bump and and smash up against these guys you know the linebackers and the defensive backs who come down or whatever and and come across the middle and make those crucial catches you know like we said Gronkowski ain't there you know they don't have an over the middle guy like that he had with Julian Edelman in New England And and I think it's really starting to hurt him you know, and they've got to get this turned around quickly just because they're sitting at three and three. We're currently first place in the NFC South, but listen, that's the NFC South. You can sleep through that that division and, and win the damn thing. But when it comes playoff time, if you're fortunate enough to make it, this ain't going to be enough to get you very far in the playoffs. This is going to be a first round, first round game and done, you know, if you're lucky. And I'm looking at their schedule the next couple of weeks. Uh, they've got the Carolina Panthers next week, the Baltimore Ravens the week after, the L.A. Rams after that, and then they've got the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, by the way, that's at a, a neutral location, so that's supposed to be a home game, but it ain't at home. You know, and then they've got the bye week in week 11. So the Carolina game, you would figure they should win. In theory, but... In theory, but the way they're playing, who the hell knows? Baltimore's probably going to smoke them. The Rams... Christ, who the hell knows flip, at this point? Flip a coin. And then Seattle, at the start of the season, you would have figured one, but with, with the way Seattle's playing, Seattle could beat them. You know, the thing about this game was this was not a Tom Brady game, and you could definitely tell that. Mm-hmm. The, this is one that in years past he would take over and win because, let's face it, obviously with the Steelers having to do a quarterback switch because Pickett got hurt, they brought in the Maserati who showed the flashes of brilliance from his one season in Buffalo from the effect of Josh Allen. 
to lead this team into somewhat victory, like this is something for Pittsburgh they can definitely rally around because sure. they needed this win in the worst possible way. But going back, I, the, the story here is Tom Brady. And I agree with you, Pat. I don't think he's fallen off, but I think he's walking a little tipsy there on mm-hmm. the on the tightrope. That this was not a game that was a typical Brady game by any stretch of the means. No. He didn't look crisp a lot of the times. And obviously, he did put up some stats, and there's nothing to sneeze about with that line. I think there's a lot of teams in the NFL that would die for those kind of stats. But at the same token, it's a situation where if Brady still wants to feel like he's an elite quarterback on an elite team, they need to put away a bad team like the Steelers. And let's face it, the Steelers are awful this season. They have a lot of offensive woes. Yeah. Even with the quarterback change, it still wasn't looking like a huge upgrade. And even with Maserati coming in, they still almost found a way to lose this game. Mm-hmm. But the Steelers found a way to win this. But with a game this close, it should never have been this close with Brady at the helm. No, and I mean, I'm looking at his stats. Uh, for the year, he's got 1,652 yards passing, uh, good for fifth in the NFL. Eight touchdowns, good for t- or tied for 12th in the NFL. One interception, which is tied for first in the NFL. And then a QBR of 52, which is good for 15th in the NFL. And then, I mean, you look at his top two receivers. You know, Godwin, 22 catches, 250 yards, no touchdowns. He's averaging 11.4 yards per catch. And then on the flip side, you've got Mike Evans, 24 catches, 358 yards, and three touchdowns, you know, and he's averaging 14.9 yards a catch. So clearly something ain't connecting here, and I don't know what it is. You know, Brady's obviously still got it. I mean, Christ, he's, old, you know, 1,600 yards, mm-hmm. you know, this early. He's still got it, but just something's not clicking, and I don't know what it is. I feel it's a disconnect with the offense, period, that I think that his expectations for what he runs – are just not being met because, I mean, obviously you talked about the wide receiver core has not has been strong in years past. Mm-hmm. The running game for Nets doing everything he can, like the fact that he's still producing and has not had any injuries at this stage, not wishing anything on him, but he had to, he runs so hard, this tends to lead to injuries. Yeah. The fact that it hasn't happened yet to a, you know, a serious degree is very, very good for Tampa Bay. And I think for Brady, just that misconnect going on is something that at this stage of the game – He's not used to seeing, and he needs to find a way to make it happen with the parts he does. Because usually, like you're right, he usually has an Edelman or Gronkowski type mm-hmm. that can definitely move the ball in the Patriots' way. Yeah. And let's face it, he's still going to run the Patriots' offense until the day he decides to really, really quit the league. Until I actually see him like sitting on the sidelines and not playing week one, I'm just going to say whenever that day comes. But until then, he's got to make those adjustments to do this, but this was a bad loss. Mm-hmm. And that's the easiest way to describe it. And moving forward, I mean, I know they're going to have their challenges, but they have to turn the ship around quickly. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm not going to say they're not going to make the playoffs because you're right, they're in the NFC South, which, I mean, they could just completely sleep through the rest of the division. They'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, they're currently tied with the the Atlanta Falcons for first place with the same record. And then you've got the Saints who are 2-4 and four, and then the Panthers who are 1-5. and five. Like, you could honestly, with the, the way the other three teams in that division are looking, you could sleep through that division. Right, but it'll be one and done in the playoffs. Uh-huh. At this stage, and they really got to show some changes there to really make me believe that they're still an elite team. From what I've seen this season thus far, no, this reminds me of that last season with Brady in Denver. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Peyton in Denver. Yeah. It just it has eerie similarities. Like, there hasn't been that big of a fall-off yet. Right. Not saying it could happen or couldn't happen, but just saying at this moment in time, the fall-off is not as bad, but you're starting to see it form. 
that's a situation where Tampa Bay they're going to have to worry about. Mm-hmm. But also, remember the last season that Peyton was in Denver. He may have looked terrible, but somehow or another, he drug his carcass out there and won a Super Bowl. This is true. Yeah, but that defense played. Thank you, Von Miller. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say it was all Von Miller in that defense that year. That was almost like when uh, Tebow was making the run in the playoffs. They relied so heavy on that defense, and the they really stepped up to cover a lot of holes. I don't know if Tampa – I'm sorry, go, Mike. Oh, no, I was just going to say that, yeah, it's, I, I really remember that season with Manning, and he was atrocious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in those in that, I believe it was a Super Bowl game, he actually – he brought it back out. You know, and Brady has that potential. Anytime you put a guy with that kind of uh, literally cash, uh, they can still turn it on sporadically. Brady doesn't have to keep it on. Mm-hmm. And like you said, in that terrible division – he can play on and off. They can make the playoffs. It's just going to be a matter of can he turn it on when he needs to just enough to win some of these games because, you know, we let's be honest, the two best teams in the NFL are in the AFC. Yes. I, so I think that's, that's, that's a very honest statement, yes. Uh, pulled up uh, Peyton's stats for the last final season he played, which was 2015, in case you all forgot. Uh, for the season, he threw 2,249 yards passing, only nine touchdowns, and 17 interceptions. Hmm. Oh, by the way, that was two seasons removed from when he was in Denver. He threw for almost 5,500 yards passing, 55 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. Yeah, that cliff comes quick. Oh yeah, no, that definitely came very fast, Adam. I think Brady is somehow do- found a way to dodge the bullets of Father Time so long. Like it's going to take a while to hit, but when it does, like I think people are going to be really shocked. We're just starting to see the forms of that. So that's something that he can definitely turn around or camouflage a little bit longer. And like Mike was saying too, he can turn it on when he needs to turn it on. Oh yeah. But the thing is, how much gas does he have left in the tank? I mean, the thing the thing that concerns me though is just having watched him, you know, for nearly 20 years you know i remember those last years in new england where let's face it he was playing with b-list and c-list receivers Mm -hmm. he he was not playing with the greatest receivers and he still made them look great and he still had a pretty damn good offense you know and everything else and they still made some pretty deep runs into the into the playoffs hell won a few super bowls yes you know but you look at this and it's like okay you've seen what he can do you know trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit Mm mm-hmm and you would think he could do the same here with two great receivers like Evans and Godwin. And just he's not been able to do it. And I think part of that is he's missing some of those other key pieces, especially, you know, he's always, when he was in New England, had the the receiving running back. You know, guy technically running back, but all he was ever in there for was receiving like James White, you know. And then like the other two pieces I mentioned, I think it's really like that coupled with the age is really starting to show. Yeah, and I think that's something they're going to have to really improve on fast. And I usually say they don't have a big turnaround, but after seeing this loss, they got to turn around quick. Mm-hmm. Next up. Next up was my leap, and I decided, I chose the Jacksonville Jaguars to beat the Indianapolis Colts because I looked at it and I'm like, you know what, Matt Ryan, not playing that good right now. The Colts are going to be without, you know, their uh, Jonathan Taylor, mm-hmm. you know, their running back. You know, it's going to be a who's who of running back. So I figured, you know what? Jacksonville might pull this one out. I was wrong. Uh, you had the Indianapolis Colts beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 34 to 27. Uh, Matt Ryan, 42 of 58. Holy shit. 58. 58 attempts. Yes. Uh, 389 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And then Trevor Lawrence, 20 of 22, 165 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Now, Mike, before I ask you a question, Pad, we need one stat from Jacksonville. Sure. Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk had, oh, Jesus Christ, where the hell, there he is, uh, four catches on five targets for 24 yards and one touchdown. 
$90 million. Mm-hmm. Just let that sink in. Mike, when we start talking about the Indianapolis Colts, we always refer to them as the most boring team in football. Who would you say is a good comparison in comics to the Indianapolis Colts? Uh, well, I'm probably going to take a lot of heat for this. I'm not a Superman fan, and I know a lot of people are. I would say Superman to me, boring but classic, and he he wins, you know? No, that's fair. That's, no, that's fair. That, that's an honest statement, yeah. But going into this game, I mean, what – Obviously, Indianapolis and Jacksonville is not a sizzle game by any stretch of the means, but do you have any f- kind of feelings on this one? Uh, well, just to echo what Pab was saying, someone ought to call the authorities on Frank Reich for allowing Matt Ryan to throw Newton 60 times when the guy is cashing Social Security checks. <laughs> it's just not fair to the man, okay? I've watched him throw a lot as a Saints fan for many, many years, and I've always considered Matt Ryan to be a bit overrated, uh, good but overrated but i'm not sure i can ever remember him throwing 58 times in a game that's just i can't asinine. i don't think he was throwing 58 times when he had that receiving court down in atlanta yeah roddy white and julio jones jesus and then tony gonzalez a couple yeah. of those years yeah no this is absurd this is literally an absurd stat line the fact that the colts won jacksonville just just when you think there may be there's that glimmer of hope they're gonna turn the tide and get on the winning track, they lose to Matt Ryan throwing 58 times in a game. Uh-huh. And, and I can't help but wonder, I mean, I'm looking at the stats trying to figure out how the fuck this happened. Was Michael Pittman Jr. <laughs> wearing a Jaguars uniform? Because I'm looking at his stats. He was targeted 16 times, caught 13 of them for 134 yards. No touchdowns. But he was still averaging a first down with every catch. At some point along the way when he's burning you for that much, I realize I'm no defensive guru. Sure, you know, sure. I'm not, I'm not one of the greatest defensive NFL coordinators of all time, but still. At some point along the way, I would say, hey, we might want to start double covering Pittman Jr. because he's burning our ass. Yeah, you would think. But then again, this is Jacksonville. This is true. And anytime that you think, okay, we're looking like a team, no, they find a way to take victory and throw it out the window because that's all that would happen here. I am trying to find a nice way to spin this, but listen, I can't Indianapolis should not have been anywhere near this game. No, Jonathan Taylor's not in the lineup. They don't have anybody. They'll say their leading rusher was Dion Jackson. Who was a second. He, well, he's, a, I, I thought that and I looked it up. He's a second year player out of Duke. You know, he had 12 carries 42 yards. And on the flip side, he had, he also caught and he caught 10 balls for 79 yards. <sighs> yeah. There's no way that that shouldn't happen. Like, I'm sorry, that should happen. The fact that Indianapolis found a way to win, I mean, this is just textbook Indianapolis. It's boring. It mm-hmm. puts you to sleep. They lulled them out, and that's how they took the win. Like, that's the only way to describe this game. Like, there is really nothing else to break down except Matt Ryan threw for 58 times. No, it wasn't a Madden cheat code. He legit threw for 58 times. That is the storyline with here. And moving forward, I mean... It's the AFC South. Who, who would have thought this division would be this bad? Yeah. But, but here we are. Yeah, so currently you got the Tennessee Titans first place at 3-2, and two, Colts in second place 3-2-1, and one, Jaguars in third place 2-4, and four, and then the Houston Texans right where we thought they'd be, 1-3-1. and one. Uh, Looking at the schedules, you've got the Indianapolis Colts are playing the Tennessee Titans this upcoming Sunday. Then they've got the Commanders, Patriots. Bum, 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 bum. Patriots and then the Raiders. Uh, and on the flip side, you've got for the Jaguars, they are playing the New York Giants this upcoming uh, Sunday. After that, they've got the Denver Broncos on uh, 
ESPN. It's a 9:30 game, so and it's at a neutral location, uh, so it's supposed to be a home game for uh, Jacksonville, but it won't be. Uh, and then they've got the Raiders and Chiefs. So they've got uh, after the Giants, they've got three weeks of AFC West opponents. Which yeah, good luck because you got a bye week in Week 11. You're going to need it to lick your wounds. I think the most polite way I can just end that commentary for this is uh huh because there's just nothing good about that nope so let's swing to my locks and leaps and man this was this was brutal Mm -hmm. i don't know what the hell is going on in lambo and aaron Rodgers, but the fact that j-e-t-s jets 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 went there and punched them in the mouth Blowing my mind here right now, Pat. Uh huh. Yeah. So the uh, Green or Green Bay Packers lost to the New York Jets by the final score of twenty-seven to ten. Zach Wilson, ten of eighteen, hundred and ten yards passing, no touchdowns or interceptions. Aaron Rodgers, twenty-six of forty-one, two hundred and forty-six yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. What the fuck, Mike? Do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I'm going to believe, and I, this is actually not the only receiver that this may come up about in this segment. Is that Rodgers misses Devontae Adams sorely. Yes. And I don't care how good the other guys are or how good a quarterback Aaron Rodgers is. At some point, you really need a go-to guy at times. And for some reason, the running game isn't performing like people expected the running game to, so he's going to have to pass his way out of it. And I'm sorry, Adam Lazard, I'm pretty sure, Alan Lazard, not Devonte Adams. I'm sorry. No, I mean that's the biggest thing is you know I, I agree with you. They're missing that number one guy. That like when you have a number one guy like a Devonte Adams, like a Randy Moss, like a hell Justin Jefferson or, or Jamar Chase, mm-hmm. you know they can go downfield. They can get open. They can do a lot of great things. But the other thing they do, the intangible thing they do, is they draw double coverage. Hell, sometimes triple coverage if they're burning your ass for enough in a game where the other guys get open. But right now, the issue is, is I know during the game, Randall Cobb got carted off with a knee injury. Looking at the injury report on ESPN.com today, he is currently listed as out, and he's expected to be sidelined for two to four weeks. Uh, this according to Kevin uh, Partra of NFL.com. So Randall Cobb is out. Sammy Watkins is on injured reserve because of a hamstring. You know, so right now your receivers are Robert Tanyan, Alan Lazard, Aaron Jones, Romeo Dubs, Amari Rogers, AJ Dillon, Josiah Degara, and and Jawan Winfrey. None of those guys are exactly scaring me and going, holy shit, we got to really put, you know, our best corner on on this guy, or we got to double up this guy, you know, double up this guy for the game. You know, so the, the receiving core isn't a threat. I'm sorry, Green Bay has not been known for their run game in quite some time, so that's not scaring me. I mean, your leading rusher was A.J. Dillon, 10 carries, 41 yards, no touchdowns. You know, so the run game ain't nothing to worry about. The receiving game ain't no, nothing to worry about right now. It, it might get worse for Green Bay Packers fans, and, uh, and that's scary to say. Let me say this. The Jets' defense is for real. And the job that they've done is kind of flying under the radar. Sauce Gardner is making a real good play for defensive rookie of the year. Uh huh. He might be the legit lockdown corner that they haven't seen since Revis was in town. Yeah. So we have to really remember that. And I think that his play and the defensive play really took Rodgers out of the game, which I know is sounding so weird. At least it is leaving my mouth into the airwaves here because this is Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Like you could give Aaron Rodgers anybody and he makes them into superstars back to back MVP. Yeah. And now he's struggling sacked four times. Yeah. That offensive line is not doing him any favors for what, like whatever reason they're just not doing it for him. 
And the fact that he's pressing himself, and that's what it looks like here, this is a very scary sign if you're a Green Bay Packers fan. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying that they're going to somehow not get into the playoffs, but playoffs. I but I think they could be a one and done if, if they get in. <laughs> it's it's true though, because you have to think about this with Minnesota and the legend Kirk Cousins Skull playing as well as they are for right now, and it is it's still early. Green Bay has to be sitting there going, what are we doing wrong? Green Bay is currently, and I'm looking at ESPN.com and their standings in the playoff section, Green Bay is currently the eighth seed, and they win a tiebreaker over Atlanta and Seattle based on best win percentage in conference games. Yeah. So that's the only that's the only reason they're in eighth place right now. And that's, But before we say anything else, I do have to ask, are we just going to ignore that the Jets – have the best quarterback in the league, a legit superhero, Zach Wilson, Milf Hunter. Oh, I this. Hey, you put some, you put some respect on uh, Cooper Rush's name. <laughs> in Rush, yeah, we no. trust. Oh God. Oh God. I'm kidding. I'm you, kidding. You know the thing about Zach Wilson. Yeah, the 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 legend that is is becoming Zach is he's managing games suddenly. Like, but you know the the biggest asset he has is Brees Hall. Mm-hmm. Brees Hall has emerged, and this is one thing that we knew coming out of the draft class. He was going to be fantastic, but he has really put this team on his back and let Zach be, you know, Zach the legend. I mean, we got to give credit, but the thing we got to remember is Flacco played the first three games, lost to Baltimore, clear contender, mm-hmm. beat Cleveland, which could be a contender, might not be a contender. We got to remember they don't have you know who at quarterback right now, right? You know, and then they lost to Cincinnati. Beat Pittsburgh, who is clearly reeling and doesn't know. They've only got two wins on the year, folks. Beat Miami, which, hey, that was without Tua, so asterisk that one. And then beat Green Bay, who is also clearly reeling. So, yeah, give them credit. You know, they're sitting here with a record of four and two, but it's it's not like they're going out and beating, you know, the who's who of the NFL. Yes, this is true. But with the Hunter at the helm, the Jets are looking good. I mean, I got to agree with you, Mike. I. The fact that they are playing competent ball is huge. And like I say, if they can put this together, like they could sneak in that eighth spot in the AFC. Like I, they're not going to overtake the Bills, and I'm not saying this is a homer pick by any means. But no, and the thing is this year particularly is they're saying they're not beating anybody of consequence. There are a lot of teams that are of no consequence this year. There are a lot of really bad teams. This yeah. Year. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I agree. I'm not sure that the Jets are as bad as the bad teams. So at that point, with as many teams as make the playoffs anymore, I think nine-tenths of them make the playoffs, the Jets could squeeze in. Yeah, they they could. They could. Have. Well, it'll be interesting because uh, this upcoming week they're traveling to Denver to play the Broncos. So who Let's the, ride. So who the hell knows what we're going to get with that game? Just let's ride. The test, though comes in the next two weeks. Because, Ken, you and I will have the, these two dates circled. Uh, October 30th, Week 8, Patriots. Week 9, Bills. Then they've got a bye week in Week 10 before they come back and play New England in Week 11. Yeah, I forgot they're loading up the division games at the end of the season. Uh-huh. So, that, so that'll be the that'll be the interesting tell because division games, you never fucking know. Oh, I know. And that's one thing, too, with the Bills. That's not an easy win for them. I will say that right now. The Jets, no matter how bad they are, Always give them problems, and if that game is at um, is it in Buffalo or is it at uh, New Jersey? Uh, I will look it up. Give me one second. So if it's at New Jersey, I don't doubt the the Jets sneaking that one out. To be honest with you, if it's at the Bill Stadium, I think they'll be fine. Uh, the Bills game is in uh, Jersey. Yeah, that one might be a, that might be a trap game. To be honest with the, you, the home game for Buffalo is uh, early December. 
Oh, that will be fine then. But in the meantime, though, you got to give the Devils their due. The Jets are playing well. The Packers, ah, not so much. I mean, you should improve a little bit this upcoming week because they're playing the Commanders uh, on a, uh, Sunday. After that, they play the Bills, Lions, and then Dallas. So in theory, they should bounce back. They should. Yeah, I can see them getting at least two and two after this next stretch of games. Yeah, that's they're going to need to. Like I hate saying this is must win, but it kind of is for Green Bay. Mm-hmm. What a weird world we live in for that. Next up is a game that, well, we'll just kind of get into the roundups here because Pat and I both had the same leaps. I got to talk about the Bills and Chiefs. Okay. Now, Mike, did you see this game? I did. I can't watch many games because I do not have cable television, but this is one that I actually catch caught. And, yeah, it is exactly everything you expect these type of games to be. And Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes are definitely the new Brady Manning. It's You can't leave any of them, either one of them, an opportunity. They're just both amazing quarterbacks. Yeah, no, it was a, certainly a, a very good game, although I got to admit I thought the interception Mahomes threw at the end was dropped. In, in the moment, thought it was dropped. Sure. Saw the replay. I'm like, oh, okay, it wasn't dropped. Uh, Buffalo won, final score of 24-20. to Josh Allen, 27-40, 329 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Patrick Mahomes, 25-40 for 338 yards passing, two touchdowns, two interceptions. That was, it was a hell of a game. I got to say that. I was on the fence about watching it just because I don't care for either team other than Mahomes because he's on my fantasy team. Uh, you know, but no, it was a, it was a great game to watch. So my takeaways, I'm going to try being as impartial as I can because there's one thing that that drove me absolutely crazy about this game. I thought the officiating was not very consistent. I thought it was very lopsided. In the majority of the first half, going into the third quarter, they were calling every kind of holding on the Bills cornerbacks that they could, and there was a lot of them that were kind of ticky tack that were not really full holds. It was just kind of both both players are, you know, yeah. you know, mashing their hands. So, you can't really call that. But what I thought was like the most egregious call is when Chris Jones tripped up Josh Allen with the kick. Oh yeah. And nobody saw nothing as wide open as that is. I thought that that was a bit wild, but I will say Kansas City and Buffalo, Mike, you're exactly right. This is new Brady and Manning. Like these two are going to go back and forth forever and ever, playing each other, and they all go, they always bring the best out of each other. And seeing the Bills win this, I thought was a very gritty win because it was not a pretty day for them on the defensive side of things. But the fact that they held Mahomes in check for 20 points for the majority of the game that is huge. And as something, the, oh go, oh, sorry, no, you're no, fine. I was going to say the the only difference I see in this being Brady Manning is that, as Pad mentioned earlier, Brady could throw to anyone. He was making Rache Caldwell look like a service NFL receiver for years. And the fact that the difference this year versus last year versus the year before is now Allen has Stephen Diggs, but Mahomes doesn't have Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be the difference, which is why last year they were so close, just nose-to-nose. The years prior... Mahomes was the one that was ahead. And now you're seeing where Josh Allen has a better weapon. And Diggs is, he was a great receiver for the Vikings. I thought he would do well in Buffalo. He is possibly the best receiver in the NFL, honestly. The guy is that good at just being where he needs to be and getting what he needs to do. 
No, I fully agree with you. I didn't think he was going to be doing as well in Buffalo as he did in Minnesota at first, but he has been the legit number two MVP up there behind Allen. Like those two have found the synergy together when they're on the field. It's crazy. And the thing is, when Diggs is doing well, this is allowing Gabe Davis to step up, and he has really stepped his game up over the past few weeks. Like I thought that playoff game last year might have been a fluke with him. No, he's become the legit number two in that Bills offense, and he's somebody they got to keep an eye on. And the only thing that I think is going to hold the Bills back really is that run game. Even though they were running down Kansas City for most of that first half, the fact they went away from it in the second half I thought was a little wearisome because I was like, it's winning. And anytime I see Josh Allen hurdle somebody, Pat can attest to this, Yep, I freak out. Yes, you do. I am like, because I'm just waiting for somebody to hit him, and then he's going to be out for like six weeks because he takes the wildest leaps this side of Bruce Banner. So, <laughs> Well, I will say, here hundred, here's the thing about Josh Allen. He's a big boy, and he's athletic, but – and I'm not comparing him to Cam Newton, but when Cam Newton's prime, Cam Newton was a legit problem for the entire league. Oh, sure. You can only take so many hits, mm-hmm. and you have to be careful about that, which is why I think Lamar Jackson does a shockingly good job of running and not taking hits. Russell Wilson does the same thing. Allen takes more hits than he should, and he's big enough to absorb them, but as we were talking about with quarterbacks, uh, your health can go down fast, and all it takes is a couple of bad shots, and then all of a sudden, Allen's mobility isn't what it is. And if that mobility goes down, he's as great as he is. He's not the same quarterback and Mm -hmm. it changes. And that's where you have to be concerned for a guy that plays as gritty and as hard as he does. No shame against that, but he has to take a slide if you have to sometimes. Mm -hmm. I know it's not the sexy thing to do, but it, you know, that's what your team wants you to do. You need to be in there to win games. Well, and that's what scares me is there's I have a fear that there's going to be one of these times that he goes for one of those scramble runs and he takes off past the line of scrimmage and he goes running and, and takes off. And the defender's going to go in for the tackle and decide, you know what? Every time somebody goes low on this guy, when he's running, he jumps him. I'm not going to go low. I'm going to stay kind of like, you know, kind of middle, you know, not, not high, not low. You know, and Allen goes for that leap, and he's going to get like a back body drop, like we're in a professional wrestling ring, mm-hmm. and he's going to get the wind knocked out of him. You know, or, or God forbid, something worse happen. That, I mean, I know having watched games with Ken slide, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's the safe option. It is, you know, the, the the more healthy option. Yeah, I know. Anybody who's watched the Bills game with me since Josh has played has heard me scream, "Slide! What is wrong with you? Slide! <laughs> we don't need that extra two yards." But. I know when he did the jump here, it got everybody excited on the sidelines and it really carried some momentum. But still, it's something that I think is an area the Bills still haven't figured out yet. I mean, their running game was working, and they just the fact they went away from in the second half I was a little concerned with, but they did hang in there to win. But on the defensive side of things, they still need to figure out how to shut down a tight end because Travis Kelsey was having his way. And if you notice about Mahomes, he always throws when he is rushed to the right side of the field. It's always in that right pocket that he finds somebody. So if defenders want to find an easy way to shut him down, to have your safety or uh, linebacker kind of float in the, the QB spy range right in that section, and you'll you'll shut him down because he goes there as a security blanket, always, to Kelsey or whoever the wide receiver is there. He never throws up to the left sidelines, if you notice. Just something I pick up, I guess. But that being said, great win for the Bills. Kansas yeah. City is obviously nothing to worry about there. 
Looking at their schedules pad, the Bills are off this week, so I can actually breathe and watch football. Mm-hmm. And looking at the Kansas City Chiefs, as soon as I find it here, there they are. Uh, they're on one of the 430 games. Uh, they're playing the San Francisco 49ers in San Francisco. Frisco is going to be a tough game. Mm-hmm. That defense is deceptively good. Uh, game is currently Kansas City by three. The over-under, holy fuck. Over-under is 48 and a half. Oh my, 48. The over-under is 48 and a half as we record. I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I've got some emotions. But that being said, let's take a quick lap around the league and give you a recap before we head out to the next segment. Yeah, so the Thursday night game was another stinker. You had the Commanders beat the Bears by the final score of 12 to 7 in the second consecutive snooze fest on Thursday night football. I'm really glad I don't watch these games. Yeah, Mike, what is your thoughts on the Thursday night games in general? I would... I would have said that this game last week set the NFL back 50 years, but the game the prior week did that, so it really only set it back one week. Yeah. They have been awful. Mm-hmm. There's nothing nice to say about those games. No. I, I'm just going to skip right past that. Well, And I love how they were previewing the game for this upcoming week, and, and Kirk Herbstreit's like, listen, guys, we promise they'll, they'll score points next week because it's New Orleans and Arizona. Oh, yeah. No, you know what will happen? Mark my words. It'll be like a 54-50 to 50 game. Probably. Re- we'll just define it as what pad? And, Mike, reasons. reasons. Uh, you had the New England Patriots put a whooping on the Cleveland Browns by a final score of 38-15. to 15. Good Lord earned Bill Belichick his 324th win. Puts him uh, tied for second place all time on the NFL uh, head coaching wins list. Uh, he's tied with George Hallis. Uh, and the only person ahead of them is uh, the great Don Shula, who had 347. Mike, what you got on this game? Dude, all I can say is I'm slap happy for Bailey Zappi. Got those <laughs> 60 touchdowns in his in his final college game, final college year. Almost 6,000 yards. And I don't think there's a legit quarterback controversy. No. But it's a fun thing to talk about because this guy's been fun to watch. Yeah, Zappi had a great game, 24-34, 309 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I, I think the thing I've been reading a lot is they've gone away from like this new offense they were trying to set up and back to some of the stuff they did before, mm-hmm. which which is great. You know, so Zappi's been, you know, a nice villain and he'll be great to have. You know, God forbid something happened to Mac again. Listen, Mac's the guy. Mac can do everything Zappi can do just a little bit better. Better. You know, Zappy's a great guy to have in the backup. And when it comes time for the contract to come up, he, listen, he's a great trade piece to get some draft picks. You know, when it, come, when it comes time, if you don't want to hold on to him, if you do, hey, great. You got a guy to fill in in the back there. You know, so it was a great win for there. You know, I will say, I don't know how Devontae Parker made that catch he did that I saw the highlight of where, like, he was up in the air and then he had to lean back the other way. But, hell, my opinion, catch of the year candidate. Uh, got a couple, got an interesting matchup this upcoming week. I forget who it is. Let me pull it up. I know it's, I think it's a later game. No, the, uh, that's right. They're on uh, Monday night playing the Bears. So that should be certainly interesting and something to see. Yeah, that's going to be something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you had the Atlanta Falcons beat the San Francisco 49ers by the final score of 28-14. to 14. Who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Mike, Atlanta won. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they picked up their entire offense from the Piggly Wiggly the week before because I have no <laughs> idea who the majority of these guys are, except for Mariota, who's, you know, he's playing as good or better than Matt Ryan did his last season, so more power to Atlanta. Actually, I hate Atlanta. I take that back because I'm a Saints fan. Go right ahead. And the Falcons are just the worst as far as I'm concerned, but I'm shocked. This may be more shocking than uh, – 
the Steelers winning. I have no idea. I mean, we all know my opinions on Atlanta. I mean, I even told my parents who flew down to Georgia to see my brother. He's he's stationed in the Army down in Georgia. Uh, they flew into Atlanta. I told them when they, they, they texted me, they're like, hey, we got to Atlanta Safeway. I'm like, oh, great. That's good to hear. Uh, if you see the Atlanta Falcons Stadium, be sure to point and laugh for me. <laughs> you know, listen, I agree. The Falcons offense, I don't know who the hell any of these people are. I mean, Caleb Huntley was your leading rusher. 16 carries, 59 yards, no touchdowns. Olinme Zacchaeus. Who? Four catches, 58 yards, no touchdowns. Drake London. First round pick. Uh, three catches, 40 yards, no touchdowns. Kyle Pitts. Okay, I heard of him. He finally showed up. <laughs> fucking first first touchdown ever. Yeah. Can we just, uh, let me just interrupt quick. The fact that he caught his first touchdown, they made it seem like they won the game right there. All the social media uh-huh. blew up for that moment. Like yeah. people were ripping off their shirts like Superman to show they had Kyle Pitts jerseys. It was the most surreal thing as I'm watching the highlights. Like, he he caught a touchdown. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's okay, people. No, they were celebrating like they won the chip. It was the craziest thing about that. Pat, I'm sorry. Continue. No, you're fine. Uh, you had the Minnesota Vikings beat the Miami Dolphins by a final score of 24 to 16. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you had the Cincinnati Bengals beat the New Orleans Saints by the final score of 30 to 26. Mike, what are you feeling about this game? You know what? I don't know i miss Jameis winston i know he's better than andy dalton however the saints wide receiving crew is again unreliable michael thomas still isn't playing somehow trust me i know he's on my fantasy team yeah it's it's painful to watch i'm having to i'm putting him in in my starting lineup with the hopes he'll play this week and then i inevitably get the notification that hey he's not playing this week and i've got to plug and play Uh, 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 yeah i I do think the Saints, especially in that division, could make the playoffs, but I'm not sure that they want to make the playoffs. I just don't I don't know what to think. I think honestly their defense is theoretically good. Their offensive line is pretty good. When Winston plays, I think he can be good enough. And when the receivers are in the game, I think they have a chance, but we haven't really seen that all come to fruition this year. Yeah, no, they're just puzzling. Like anything about the Saints, they're kind of like the Chargers. Like, on paper, they look great, but when they get on the field, something happens. And I don't know what, but the games that they should be able to really contend with, uh, they usually decide to drop a real stinker, and this was one of those. So, you know, what else can you really say about that? You had the New York Giants beat the Baltimore Ravens by a final score of 24-20. to All right, Mike, what is your thoughts on the Giants now 5-1? and You know what? As Dennis Nedry would say in Jurassic Park, nobody cares. I don't really <laughs> care. I don't believe they're any good. I really don't understand it. They, you know, and I do think Saquon Barkley being back at 100% seems like he makes – I think he just changes the team. I think he's one of the few running backs in the NFL that is that good. I mean, they're doing exactly what we said when we during the NFC preview show that they needed to do was if they wanted any hope of doing getting help, getting to the playoffs, they needed to get their wins early. Because <laughs> I want to note something, folks. We're in. Uh, we just completed week six, so we're a little ways into the season now. Uh, they've only played one divisional game. Uh, they've got the Jacksonville Jaguars coming up this coming Sunday. Then they've got the Seattle Seahawks. They've got a bye week in week nine. Uh, and, and hold out your hand, folks. I want you to count the number of division games uh, they've got up, uh, coming up after the bye week. So they've got the Houston Texans, Detroit Lions, Dallas Cowboys, Washington Commanders, Philadelphia Eagles, Washington Commanders, the Minnesota Vikings, the Indianapolis Colts, and then the Philadelphia Eagles to close out the year. Five. They've got five division games coming up after the bye week in week nine. 
I don't care what your record is or how good you are, can't factor in division games. So I'm just gonna make this bold prediction. They're gonna be nine and one. I the rest of the schedule till they get to that division game, they could legit run. Mm-hmm. We are in bizarro world. Yeah. Like this should not be happening. I'm sorry. I understand that Brian Dabble is legit making a run for coach of the year. Wow, I actually got that out. Weird to say. Oh my god, that hurts. <laughs> Excuse me one sec. But this is a situation where the Giants are are overplaying their value. Yeah, they are. They're really stepping up and they're taking advantage of the teams that are taking them too lightly. And this was a situation that a team did take them too lightly, in my opinion. No, they did. And I forget who said it, whether it was somebody I saw on Twitter or one of the people in our Locks and Leaps group chat. But, like, the Giants are effectively playing with high school players. Yeah. That, like, none of them are guys that you would take late in the in your in your fantasy draft is like oh this is i just need a guy to fill in for my like number wide receiver number one or number two wide receiver they're on a bye this week none of them even fall into that category for me they don't even fall into the category of well shit my my number one receiver's out for the year with an injury i need a plug and play guy like no they're they're high schoolers it's absurd it really is but they're finding a way to win and i'm sorry anybody still hitting me up with the comparison of Danny Dimes to Josh Allen stop oh jesus it's not no they're not the same they're not i don't care that devil made magic happen with Josh Allen and he's doing you know pulling rabbits out of hats here with Danny Dimes they're not the same they're going to come back to earth when they have to start facing the division and i will say this if they run through their division i i will change my tune week 17 week 18 sure but it ain't going to happen i'm sorry the minute they face philly it's going to be a very, very long game. Oh, yeah. Uh, we then do you know OBJ setting out there as a free agent. Maybe a reunion's in store. Oh, Highly get... unlikely, but it would be fun to watch. Oh, that'd be wild. Give it to me. The, I I need this. The only way I think he could – could it happen? Yes. The only way I think it happens is if they replace that entire field. Because I know that's one of his gripes with MetLife Stadium is that the field is absolute dog shit. Like there was the game last year's season before, whatever it was against the uh, 49ers where, mm. like, five or six guys got hurt just because that field is absolute shit. Oh, yeah, that field is trash. It feels garbage. Uh, you had the L.A. Rams beat to the Carolina Panthers 24-10. to 10. Uh, It was a game. Yeah, it was a game. Uh, Christian McCaffrey on the trade block, although what it's going to take to get him, eh, who knows, we'll see. Uh, you had the Seattle Seahawks beat the Arizona Cardinals 19-9. to 9. Uh, Another game, Mike, any thoughts on this one? <laughs> No, actually, no thoughts at all. It's uh, this game is unenthusing. It, it looked it, to watch at least the highlights. I didn't watch the game. The score looks unenthused. The stats look unenthused. The players look unenthused. I was not a fan of of anything going into this game. I don't know what the problem is with the Cardinals. They should be a lot better than they are on other defense. They need to score more points. Well, yeah, and, and I mean now the thing is was with uh, Arizona Hollywood Brown. Uh, out for Lord knows how long with an injury. So they traded for Robbie Anderson from uh, Carolina. You know, DeAndre Hopkins is coming back uh, this upcoming Sunday. So that might help. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, the only saving grace is Hopkins is coming back. So they'll put up points this week because they're the Thursday night game, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Or, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so they'll put up points. But other than that, the head coach and Kyler Murray there are not on the same page. I think that you could see uh, Kingsbury get fired there. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a legit chance it could happen. Murray, I don't know. Like he is just such an interesting quarterback in the sense of you really don't know what you're going to get out of him each week, and he's got all the talent in the world. But just some games, he just shows up, and it's like, what are we doing here? 
But I think with Hopkins back, that's a big security blanket for him, so I think they're going to put up a lot of points with him next week. Uh, and then on the Sunday night game, you had the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Dallas Cowboys 26-17. to Thoughts on this, Mike? Uh, you know what? Cooper Rush is who we thought he was, yes. <laughs> finally. But that being said, too, is I just want to go back to I remember when the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts and people were like, why? This is stupid. This is a waste. And then proven correct because Carson Wentz is awful. And Jalen Hurts actually – a lot better than people expected him to be. So, you know what? Give the Eagles all the credit in the world that made the right decision. Yeah. yeah. The Eagles' play this year has been wild just because the one fantasy league I'm in has keepers, and I kept Russell Wilson because, hey, it's Russell Wilson. Let's ride. And then I tra- I drafted uh, Jalen Hurts as my backup. Well, week one came along, and I forget who Denver was playing, but the Eagles were playing Detroit. And I'm like, you know what? I like Jalen Hurts' op- odds against Detroit a lot better. Well, now Jalen Hurts is my starter just because he's been playing leaps and bounds better than – uh, you know, Russell Wilson, although, Christ, the three of us could play better than Russell Wilson at this point. That's right. You know, so, hey, good win for Philly. Dallas, yeah, you had to come back down to earth at some point. Yeah, this was a very good game in the sense of the NFC least, probably their two best teams. And we knew that Dallas was going to come back to earth eventually, but they hung in there. I mean, that's the one thing about this. Even with the quarterback play being um, suspect this one, <coughs> They still hung in against the Philly team that really gave them a good challenge. And, I mean, ultimately, Philly, you got to give them their credit right now. They're probably the best team in the NFC. Maybe. I'm not going to say they're better like than the Bills or Kansas City right now, but they're in that conversation because they are playing very smart on both sides of the ball. And Jalen Hurts, like you touched upon, Mike, he has been excellent this season. And for everybody that thought it was such a wasted pick, it's like he just needed time to get developed. And sure enough, now he's paying dividends completely. But one more game, though, we got? Yeah, that was the Monday night game where you had the uh, L.A. Chargers beat the Denver Broncos 19-16 to in overtime. Mike, any thoughts on this one? I have a very extreme thought. I'm very upset with this game, and let me tell you why. DraftKings offers you specials sometimes. This week they offered you a special. They took Herbert's touchdowns and said, if Justin Herbert gets one touchdown, we're going to take the odds of minus 800, take it up to plus 100. This is like easy free money. Herbert doesn't throw a touchdown. Jesus. Completely pisses me off and just blows my $10 out the window. So upset. I would be too. Jesus. I had, I know a guy who had Herbert as a starter in fantasy and was down. I think it was like nine points, 10 points, whatever it was. And he needed, I, I know he needed 10 points to win. And I was like, well, who you got left? And he's like, well, I got Herbert going on Monday. I was like, oh, shit, you got that easy. And then he came up to me today and he showed me his thing and he had lost the game by, I want to say, it was less than a point. Like it, it was in the it was in the decimal points that he had lost that game. And I go, holy shit, how the fuck do you lose? He goes, well, Herbert didn't get 10 points. He only got eight and change. I was like, fucking Christ. See, it's the Chargers, I always say, are the most unpredictable team in all of football, like uh, above anybody else. This is a game they should have dropped 35 in their sleep. And I don't even care if it's division. The only thing good you can say about Denver is let's ride. That's it. There is nothing good about this team whatsoever. Their coach is going to be the first one fired. If it doesn't happen within a couple weeks, it's going to be the first one on the Monday after the season wraps. This team is bad. Russell Wilson does not care. I mean, in my opinion, he is going through the motions. The fact he's missing this many wide-open receivers Mm -hmm. is atrocious. And on the flip side, what is the Chargers doing hanging around a Denver team that they should have blown out easily 
and you're struggling against them, but next week, whenever they got a real contender, they're going to drop 38 on them. Like, it's puzzling to watch at home, and then especially if you're really trying to give the Chargers credit, how can you do that after watching this performance? Yeah. I can't. So, that said, there is a lot of headlines going on with this week's NFL action. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Let's recap the week that was. How did your team do? How are they doing moving forward? Let's have that discussion, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself confused about the current state of the MCU or whatever the hell is happening with the DC universe? Do you often have no idea what the hell the difference is between craft beer and that butt ice stuff at the gas station? Well, then look no further. We present to you Hops Geek News. We're yet another geek and beer podcast in an already oversaturated market. All right, all right. We drink and we pretend we know things. More often than not, we don't really know things, but we do talk some really great topics and we most definitely can drink. We'll deliver you news and then dive into any random topic you might have never knew you actually were passionate about. With lots of fun facts about beer. And from Marvel to DC and Star Wars, and to why Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. Which it is. Basically anything that our spouses are sick of hearing us talk about. Join us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes weekly. Just search Hops News. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast with Mike from the Multiverse of Badness with us. Thank you for having me. This is why I'm here to talk UFC for the very little that I gave you in your NFL recaps. I am here to talk 100% NFC. I'm not NFC, UFC. I'm excited for it. So let's do this. Absolutely, because this is probably the card of the year, without question. This is so stacked. It's not even funny. Pad, you got the statistics for this? Uh, yeah, so taking place this Saturday uh, from the uh, Ithad Arena in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates, UFC 280. Uh, start time probably about the same time. Uh, check your local listings and uh, ESPN Plus for when it's on in your time yeah. or, or pay-per-view. Yes, indeed. So this is so good of a card. Mike wants to mention a, a certain fight that is on the prelims. Like, this is how stacked this card is. I can't stress this enough. So, Mike, who we got rocking in the prelims? The prelims, I won't go through the, the entire prelim because actually the prelims are solid. A lot of fights up and down, but really one that is arguably a pay-per-view level fight is Bilal Muhammad, and he's fighting Sean Brady. And nobody wants to fight Brady particularly. I love Bilal Muhammad because he will fight anybody mm-hmm. above him. He, he wants to fight above him, and he got the eye poke from Leon Edwards, which unfortunately derailed that opportunity. But he wanted to fight Brady. He said, bring him on. Everybody's afraid of Brady because this guy, uh, he can punch, he can grapple. He's the real deal, and this is going to be just an absolute great fight, in my opinion, and probably the second best fight of the night, I think. This is definitely going to be up there. I know, Pat, you got records? Yeah, so Bilal Muhammad in 25 professional matches has a record of 21 wins, 3 losses, 1 no contest. He's won his last 3 fights in a row, beating the likes of Vincente Luke via unanimous decision, Stephen Thompson by unanimous decision, and then Damian Maia by unanimous decision. Uh, on the flip side, you've got Sean Brady, who is 15-0 in his professional uh, career. Uh, has uh, three wins by knockout, four by submission, eight by decision. Uh, in his last three fights, he's beaten Michael Chiesa by unanimous decision, Jake Matthews with an arm, tra- 
arm triangle choke, uh, and then a guillotine choke on Christine Christian uh, Aguilera. Boy, I almost slipped up on that name. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there would have been a genie in a bottle on that one because Brady is no joke, and he smashes through bottles and anything in his way. This is a very, very good card. and I mean, fight for him, especially, like I say, to kick off the prelims and be the main event. I always say this is a main event card anywhere or a main event fight on any card. Brady is no joke, and Muhammad is definitely going to be a great challenge for him. I love the fact that Muhammad stepped up to fight him because, like Mike, you were touching upon, nobody wants to go near Brady right now. Like, he has that it factor of a fighter. Like, when Glover Teixeira came to the UFC and, like, nobody was fighting him, everybody was dunking him, it's that kind of vibe with Brady. So this one, I think he's going to get tested. I really do. But I'm going to tell you what. I like Brady in an upset. Like, even with Muhammad with his three losses, I still think that – this is a fight for Brady. It's definitely lined up for him. And if he wins this, don't doubt him get some kind of astronomical push to the top five of the division. Pad, you got any thoughts on this one? No, this fight should be really good. And the prelims overall should be insane just because, I mean, I'm looking at the card and I'm listening on the prelims. Like, Nikita Krylov's taking on Volkan Ozmedir on the prelims, mm-hmm. which is just freaking wild. I wouldn't be surprised if Brady picks up this one just because he's so dominant and I'm looking – you know, he's he's got eight fights by decision, you know, so is it going to be an interesting test? Absolutely. I mean, you go up against a guy who's got 21 wins, you know, and you take out the one no contest like what we mentioned, you know, which was the eye po- accidental eye poke in March of 2021. You know, uh, Muhammad hasn't lost since he lost to Jeff Neal by unanimous decision in January of 2019. You know, so it's going to be a, a great test for Brady, but I think he'll be able to rise to the occasion. All right, Mike, and how do you see this one ending? This is going to be interesting because I'm probably going to pick the guy I'm not sure is going to win. Uh, I think, surprisingly, this may surprise you, Muhammad is the underdog. Brady is the favorite, fairly. And even though their rankings would mm, say otherwise. Yeah. And the trick is this. Bilal Muhammad, even though he is not a Division X wrestler, he's not from Dagestan, he is one of the best drag-you-down and make your life miserable wrestlers in the UFC. Twitter UFC hates this guy. Yeah, he he's does. universally despised for the way he fights, and he's actually a pretty funny guy and has a great personality, which is really a shame. Brady, on the other hand, can do it all. He's not the wrestler Muhammad is, but he can drag guys down. His jujitsu is fantastic. He actually won a grappling tournament over Craig Jones, who is an elite-level grappler, and he's actually beaten Gilbert Burns in a grappling grappling war. So this guy is 100% legit as a grappler. I think what you have to pick here, because my fear tells me this is going to go the distance. If it goes the distance, I've seen Muhammad fight enough. He's got a gas tank, and I think he could get the decision. So I think if you're going to do a decision there, I think if you want value, you take Brady by submission. Admittedly, Muhammad hasn't had a submission, but you get plus 450 against a guy who knows his jujitsu. I think I think that's your only way of making money here. But I think that Muhammad, if you have to pick somebody to win, I think Muhammad's your way to go. Yeah, like this is so close. Like I could definitely see it going that way too. It's just with Brady, I mean, the hype train is there. And especially for the UFC, like if he can win this one, that's huge. And then for Muhammad, like if he wins this, I wouldn't have any problem giving him a title shot and do a rematch against Edwards. Like, I really wouldn't. I mean, I don't like this guy. I mean, let me put it this way. Dana loves him, but he hates to love him. Yeah. Because this guy's fighting style will not sell tickets. And he's he's actually a great interview and things, but he's just not a sexy 
fighter. Mm-hmm. He makes Kamzat Chemaev look like Conor McGregor as far as his excitement level. Oh, and that's a shame because I love Bilal Muhammad. I love the way he fights, actually. Most people hate it because, but he's just, his ground game, he, he'll drag you down and he will own you but he doesn't have a great submission game, which makes it usually just a big old blah kind of boring three. And when, you know, title fight's going to be a five-round blah fest, I have a feeling, which is unfortunate. Yeah. No, this is definitely going to be one great way to kick off the card, too, because from here, it's going to the main card, and this is, like, I, I can't emphasize enough. Five car- Five fights on the main card, all of them could be a headliner anywhere in the world. And then, obviously, we're kicking off with the women's flyweight, uh, fight going on. Kaylin Chahagan is taking on Mema Faro. How you feeling about this one, Mike? You know what? I feel bad for Chahagan because I feel like she's the number one ranked women's flyweight. But I get the impression that the UFC does not think she can beat Valentina, and she's thus far proven that she can't. So I feel like, in a way, is and you hate to call her a gatekeeper because that's not fair to a number one contender, but it feels like everybody below Valentina that's ranked high is an ish of a gatekeeper. And they're trying to drag somebody from a drag, some new exciting fighter up. They tried it with Macy Barber and her big head got in her way of her skills. And she kind of got derailed. Mm-hmm. Now this man, Ophiro, she looks like the real deal, but she, I'm not sure that she's Kate, Caitlin Chukagian yet. So, I am going to go, and this is another one where you would think Chukagian would be the favorite, but she's actually the plus one sixty underdog right now. Really? I don't think Chukagian. Yes, I don't think Chukagian knocks her out, and I don't think she can submit Firo, but you can get plus two forty on a Caitlin Chukagian decision. So that's where I would go if you're if you're hell bent on taking Firo. I don't think she beats Chukagian in a decision. But you can get plus three eighty on a KO, but there's no reason. Chukagian's been knocked out a couple times, but I think that's your only value of Firo. I think Chukagian's too good a fighter to lose this by anything other than just kind of a, a knockout. Pat, you got the uh, rankings there? Yeah, so uh, Ch- Caitlin Chukagan in 22 professional matches has a record of 18 wins, 4 losses. Uh, she is on a 1, 2, 3, 4 fight win streak, uh, beating the likes of Amanda Rebus by split decision, uh, Jennifer uh, Maya by unanimous decision, uh, Vivian uh, Arejo by unanimous decision, Cynthia Calvillo by unanimous decision. Her last loss actually was to Jessica Andrade via TKO. That was back in October 18th of 2020. Uh, and then on the other side, uh, Manon uh, Fiorio uh, is on in 10 professional matches, has a record of nine wins, one loss. Uh, her lone loss came back in her uh, professional debut against a, a woman by the name of Leah McCourt. Uh, it was a catchweight fight at 138 pounds. She lost by split decision. Uh, since then, she has won every single fight, winning six fights by knockout and then three by decision. So good Lord. No, I agree with you, Mike, on this one. I think Chahagan... It's tough because there's such a drop-off after Shevchenko in the flyweight division that Chehagen could be a contender, but she obviously can't handle Valentina. And I think that that's the situation for her. It's almost like in a sense like she's in the Keith Jardine role from a couple years ago. It's just like one of those situations like she's great, but she's just not on that level that she can go, in, in my opinion, to that next gear where, I mean, I'm not sure who can really defeat Shevchenko except Nunez. But then again, Nunez is the GOAT. So, you know, like, that, that's not a fair comparison. It's just a situation in this division. Like, I don't see this going any other way other than Chehagen taking out Fioro. I think Fioro is going to challenge her by 
you know, really give a test tour. And I think no matter win, lose, or draw, this is going to be a great learning experience for Fioro. But I do like Chahagan winning this one by unanimous decision. That's my pick on – oh, I'm sorry, go. No, I agree with you. I think Fioro – here's the thing. She may be the real deal. I've seen her last fight. I may have seen two of her fights. I remember her last fight thinking, this girl knows how to really – you know, she knows how to fight. But the problem is, is as and I hate this term, but I'm going to use it. There are levels to this game, mm-hmm. and right now she hasn't shown she hasn't she hasn't shown that she can beat a Caitlin Chukagan. Can she? Very possibly. She's the favorite, so I am definitely in the minority of the betting public. But I want her to prove it to me. She's going to have to prove it to me before I say yes, she can beat her. So that's just kind of where I'm at with her. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Pat, you got any feelings on this one? Uh, I'm going to say it's going to be uh, Man and uh, Furio uh, in, a, in an upset. Oh, okay. Pat rolling right. that dice. Not an upset, however. Yeah, not an upset, but yeah, but it, you know, obviously Chagan is just such the well-established veteran at, at that division. It's tough to go against her, but you know what? I mean, Fiora, she's going to be really making some noise there. This is a, the fight she needs to win, so mm-hmm. definitely one to keep an eye on for. Next up, Pad. We got a lightweight contest. Yeah, this is between Benil Darouche and, and I'm going to butcher this name, so I apologize. Uh, Metsuz uh, get, uh, Germont. Germont. Uh, and for the records, Benil Darouche in 26 professional matches has a record of 20, 21 wins, four losses, one no contest. Currently on a good lord. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven fight win streak. Uh, the last three fights he's beaten Tony Ferguson by unanimous decision, Carlos Diego Ferreira by split decision, and then he knocked out uh, Scott Holtman with a spinning backfist. Uh, his last loss was to Alexander Hernandez uh, by KO. That was back in March 3rd of 2018. Good Lord. Uh, and then his opponent, uh, Gamro, is 23 professional matches, has a record of 21 wins, one loss, one no contest, currently on a four-fight win streak, being the likes of Armin uh, Tsarukian by unanimous decision, Carlos Diego Ferreira by TKO, Jeremy Stevens by Kimura submission, and then Scott Holtzman be a knockout. His last loss was in October 18th of 2020 with a split decision. Mike, how are you feeling on this one? You know what? This is one I am probably not going to bet in any type of parlay because I know Darius is good. But from what I've seen from Gamrot, he is the real deal. He beat Sarukian, who I really like a lot. Sarukian has lost to a couple of really heavy hitters, mm-hmm. and he's taking them the distance. He lost to Islam Makachev by decision, and he lost to Gamrot. Gamrot's only lost one fight, and I believe it was a billion years ago. So at that point, hey, you know what? Gamrot smells like the real deal. Gary Yush is good. They're both going to come out. They both seem to like to go at it. That is the nice thing. They do have some decisions, but they, they have a lot of knockouts. And particularly Gamrot, uh, I think that if you had to pick one to win, Gamrot's the favorite, but I would take him to win. But I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm, I like to chase here. Again, this is not going into any parlay. Gamrot does have some submission skills. I would go plus 700 submission. Do I think that that's going to come through? No, but I think it's a better better opportunity to make a little cash than anything else on the card. But I think Gamrot has this one, but stay away from it in your parlay. I agree with you about staying away from this one. I think that this is going to be a very evenly contested fight. I like Gamrot in this one, though, too. Like, Darush, I think, could do this, and he is a good fighter. But in some of these situations, like, I've seen him sneak out some wins here and there. I really haven't seen, like, a wow factor out of him. And Gamrot definitely has impressed me within the fights I've seen him in. I think that this is something for the lightweight division to cause a little shakeup there. I do like Gamrot winning this one. Uh, I, I hate even trying making a prediction about this because I think it ends in the third round. 
I'll even go out, or, you know, I'll, I'll roll some dice here. I'm going to say he ends it with strikes. The, you'll have a referee stoppage. That I think that this is going to be all over the place, so you're going to see some ground skill. You're going to see some stand-up. I think this will be one that you definitely don't want to miss when it's on the main card, but I like Gamrod in this one. Pat? Uh, I'm going to go with Darusha, though. I, I'm with you guys. Don't put this one anywhere near a parlay, but No, no, absolutely not. Avoid this one. But now we get to, I would say, the top three fights, obviously, of the card, but the top three that are generating the most buzz out of this card. And that is we have what appears to be a number one contendership for the bantamweight title. Pad? Yeah, so that is between Peter Yan and Sean O'Malley. Uh, looking at the records, uh, Peter Yan in 19 professional matches has a record of 16 wins, three losses, currently on a one-fight losing streak, uh, lost to Aljamain Sterling in his last bout. That was a split decision loss. That was back in April. Uh, before that, he beat Corey Sanhagen by unanimous decision in October of 2021, and he lost to Aljamain Sterling again, but that was by DQ with an illegal knee. Mm-hmm. That was in March of 2021. Uh, and then on the other side, you've got Sean O'Malley, who is in 17 professional matches has a record of 15 wins and one loss uh currently on a one no contest streak i guess you could say yeah uh he fought pedro munoz in his last fight that was back in july uh that was a no contest due to an accidental eye poke uh prior to that he was on a three fight winning streak winning all three fights by knockout boy this is gonna be good yeah this one mike where are you going with this because i I got some thoughts on this okay first off i'm gonna say peter yon Piotr Jan, I guess, if we want to get technical, is as good a fighter as there is in the UFC. He did lose to Aljamain Sterling that last fight. It was a legit loss. I agreed with the decision. Fight before that, he beat himself against Aljamain. Mm-hmm. He had the fight won, and he got stupid. The last fight prior to that that he lost was all the way back in 2016 to one of Bellator's best fighters, Magomed Magomedov. This guy is legit. He's a striker at heart, and the one thing he does well even though it's not advertised as well, he can kick the shit out of people. So he's definitely practicing his leg kicks, I've seen, and he's still a kicker, even though he's not as as rangy as O'Malley is. We saw what Cheeto Vera did with leg kicks to O'Malley. We saw what, I think, Moutinho was wearing out O'Malley with leg kicks because he couldn't hit him. I could be wrong on that, but I think it was Moutinho. Yeah, I think you're right. The short of it is, is I don't think that again levels to this game i just think that Piotr jan is further along i think he's a better fighter i think and i know people love o'malley for striking but he loves to sit back and kind of snipe people jan's going to be up in his space jan even though he's not as big as o'malley he's great at closing space he's great at managing distance and i think if jan wants to kick the shit out of o'malley's legs o'malley doesn't go three i'll take the plus 300 on a ko this one I'm going to tell you right now, this is Jan all day. I don't understand other than the UFC is in love with O'Malley about how he can be in the mix here for a title shot at this stage in the game. I understand O'Malley is charismatic as all hell, and I will give him that. But at the end of the day, Jan is going to go Jose Aldo Uriah Faber on O'Malley. He is going to absolutely leg kick the hell out of him. So this is going to be a situation, I'm telling you right now, I don't know how this is going to go other than Jan wins outright. And I will be shocked if this goes to decision. I will be shocked if O'Malley wins this one. I'm going to say Jan wins via strikes. 
and he knows that there's a lot riding on this. So that said, I'm telling you right now, go Jan all day. I'm going to say Jan second round stoppage. That's my call with this one. Pat? Uh, I'm going to agree with you, Jan all damn day. Yeah, I, I just I don't see it going that that way, and I know that they're doing some juggling around too with the with the main card. That if somebody doesn't make weight, O'Malley he tweeted out something like he's going to be able to jump up into the uh, co-main event slot. If there's a weight cut issue, I don't know about that. But it has been said though, the winner of this is going to get the title shot against the winner of our next fight. Yeah, so that is for the bantamweight championship. We've got the, the champion Aljamain Sterling taking on TJ Dillashaw. Uh, Aljamain Sterling in 24 professional matches has a record of 21 wins, three losses. Currently on a good lord, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fight win streak, uh, beating the likes of Peter Yan. Uh, twice uh once by the split decision and then you had the illegal knee uh cory sanhagen by rear naked choke submission pedro munoz by unanimous decision jimmy rivera by unanimous decision cody stammen by uh sulev stretch see you don't see that every day uh and then unanimous decision against brett johns actually his last loss was to marlon moraes with a, a knockout uh in december of 2017 Flip side, you got TJ Dillashaw, who in 21 professional matches has a record of 17 wins, four losses, currently on a one-fight winning streak, beating Corey uh, Sandhagen by a split decision that was in July of last year. Last loss was to Henry Cejudo the fight prior, where Henry Cejudo knocked him out in January of 2019. Mike, your thoughts? This one has me torn. Um, Dillashaw is a fabulous wrestler. Uh, I think the reason he lost to Cejudo was because Cejudo is one of the few guys that can out-wrestling. Um, but Dillashaw can take you down, and he's never been submitted, and he's a striker as well, so he's tough. Sterling, on the other hand, outside of the guy we're going to mention following this, has some of the, if not the, best MMA jiu-jitsu around. And it's going to be a fun match. The thing... It's. I have no idea where this is going to go. I think if you're if you like Sterling, I think you have to bet him at plus four hundred submission. I think if you like Dillashaw, take the plus four fifty KO. I do think there's a very good likelihood this goes to the decision as well. However, I do know Dillashaw can hit Sterling. Greg can grapple. Uh, they're pretty. I think the numbers are pretty close. I think. Uh, I think Sterling is the favorite. I think he might be minus one sixty or so. I think he's plus one twenty on the decision though. But yeah, I think. If I if you if you push me to pick the winner, and I don't even like saying this, I think Dillashaw gets it done. Yeah, I gotta agree with that. I think this is all Dillashaw. Have you seen photos of him too, by the way? Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, like he is absolutely jacked for this one, and I think that he's just at a different skill level. Like Sterling has had an interesting run to the title, and I think that. Whatever reason they didn't want to put him in there, maybe he's not, you know, in the, uh, you know, like you say about selling tickets, he's not a, a flashy fighter that is going to draw headlines like, you know, a, a Conor McGregor type. But Sterling has definitely earned the title shot he did. At Grand, it was a little controversial with Jan giving him that completely illegal knee, and, you know, yeah. there, there was no shying away from that. But now Sterling obviously got past that. This is going to be a real test for him, but I just don't see how he gets past Dillashaw striking. I just don't. Dillashaw, I think, is going to come in there and definitely throw some hands at him. I think this could be a stoppage late. Uh, I'm going to say maybe fourth round, but it's definitely going to be Dillashaw's night. 
Pat? Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with you, Dillashaw. I mean, just looking at the breakdown of wins, he's got eight by knockout, three by submission, six by decision. You know, and obviously his last uh, win was a by decision. But prior to that, uh, Dillashaw had not had a, de- a decision win since December of 2016. So it had been a hot minute. So I, I think Dillashaw is just going to be too much for Sterling. Yeah, it's it's going to be an exciting fight. I will say that. But if Sterling gets taken to deep water, that's where I think he's going to really have problems with. Because Dillashaw is used to fighting there. He's not going to back down from where we're going with this fight. He's been there as a former champion. So he understands how this goes. So that said, I think it's going to be a short night though for Sterling's reign. Because I think it's over at, at this one. But there's still one more fight to talk about. Yeah, and that is in the lightweight division where you've got Charles Oliveira taking on Islam Machekov. Uh, looking at the records, uh, Oliveira in 42 professional matches has a record of 33 wins, 8 losses, 1 no contest. Folks, it'll just be faster if I read to when his last uh, loss was because that was to Paul Felder via TKO in December 2nd of 2017. He has won every fight since. Islam Machekov. Same damn thing. Uh, it'll be faster if I just read the last loss because he, in uh, 23 professional matches, he has a record of 22 wins, one loss. His last loss coming to a gentleman by the name of Adriano Martins. That was via TKO at UFC 192 on October 3rd, 2015. He has won every single fight since. Something's got to give here, folks. We got a lot of winning streaks. Mike, how are you taking this one? This one is tough because Makachev is legit. There's no doubt about it. But Oliveira, people get on him because, like, look, he lost eight fights. He's been submitted. He's been knocked out. It's like the guy's been fighting in the UFC since he was, like, 12. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason he – you can't look at some of those fights early on. Lately, he has been insane, and he's added fists to his game because, as I was mentioning before about Sterling – Oliveira is most likely, after the gi was removed, of course, most likely the best MMA jiu-jitsu practitioner there is. And there's a difference between MMA jiu-jitsu and just jiu-jitsu because you have to worry about the striking, etc. Obviously, Oliveira doesn't seem to worry about it because he gets hit in the face and knocked down about every fight. Yeah. But he's added hands. He knocked Michael Chandler out. He choked Poirier out. He choked Gaethje out. You know, Ferguson took him the distance. People like, see, that doesn't count because Ferguson was on the other side of his career. That's not really fair to say because this was the fight that Ferguson first lost that put him on that downslope. So maybe Ferguson was still Ferguson. I listen to too many UFC podcasts. I do believe from what I hear, and I don't know if it's just people wanting it to happen, Oliveira seems like the popular choice with most of the UFC fans. And I do think that Makachev likes to drag him out and down. Oliveira likes to be on the ground. Um, it's going to be a fun fight. It really is going to be. Do we need another reign of, you know, pretty much Khabib, which is what they're they're kind of bumping this up as. And Makachev has a very similar fighting style. So maybe it's just self-preservation of me liking to watch UFC main events, but I'm going to go with Oliveira. I think he's got it, even though he's the underdog here. Man, this is tough. Like I say, all the reports, too, about who could be possibly in the wings for this one, too, if there's a missed weight cut. I'm trying to get some confirmation, but Alexander Volkanovsky is lurking. And mm. alle- he, allegedly, he's going to be down there at weight just in case. Jesus. Donald Cerrone rule. He's, he's doing Cerrone because Dana actually guaranteed that he would get the winner. Okay. So he's going to move up to, to lightweight 
for the next fight. Because like I said, there's been some crazy stuff going around. I know SB Nation's MMAmania.com was the one saying that Dana White confirms the Peter Yen and Sean O'Malley will get the title shot next. And the Volkanovski thing has been widely reported that he's going to get the title shot one way or another. So with that lurking in the back there, you got to take a look at both fighters. And Oliveira has evolved his game. If you want to talk about a well-rounded fighter, the fact that he added hands like you touched upon, Mike, that's huge. And I don't think that he gets enough credit for it. And I think going against Machev, this is going to be something that I don't think Machev has dealt with. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but when Habib was wrestling or was fighting, because they both have similar styles, has they ever fought anybody with the jiu-jitsu background like an Oliveira? Uh, probably. I can't actually recall. I can't remember everybody that could be fought. But, yeah, I do know that Khabib was such a nullifier. And, honestly, comparing to me, comparing anybody's MMA jiu-jitsu to Oliveira isn't fair. There are guys out there that are, you know, win tournaments in jiu-jitsu, but when they come to the MMA, it doesn't translate. Mm-hmm because it's a different type of jiu-jitsu because there's very much, you know, jiu-jitsu, my son trains it, and I trained it before I blew out my stupid uh, <laughs> meniscus. Oh, but, um, And, yeah, well, that was all me. But long story short is that um, it's, it's very much a – it's a beautiful kind of sport as far as the way it, it's approached, but it's, you're not worried about people raining elbows on you. You know, when you're worried about fighting and standing up, you might be worried about somebody taking you down, but no one's going to punch you in the mouth or kick you in the face. So it's two different things. And Oliveira has such a great uh, MMA jiu-jitsu. It's, it's a unique skill set that is totally different than regular jiu-jitsu. So I can't recall everybody that could be fought, but there's nobody off the top of my head that jumps out like Oliveira does. See, that's where I, I was thinking, too, when Machev is going to fight him. Because like I say, Habib and Machev have similar styles. But the one thing we've never seen is somebody with the background of Oliveira that is comfortable on his back, comfortable with somebody taking his back, that how is this going to balance out against you know Machev's style? Because Machev likes to take it down and do the Sambo style and really ground and pound. I don't think he's going to have that luxury with Oliveira. I really don't. I think that this is probably the best matchup that we could have as fans to see. And I'm going to say this outright. I think Oliveira wins. I think he he could possibly sub him. I'm going to say third round because what I think is going to happen is Machev is definitely a great fighter, and I don't want to take anything away from it. But I think that he's going to be going in there looking for a takedown, and I think Oliveira is going to welcome it. And the minute he gets out of something, I think Machev is going to get frustrated like, wait, oh, what do I do now? Because he's never had that challenge before. Oliveira is used to this being a champion, He's definitely fought in many weight classes. He's not afraid to get into somebody's expertise and fight his way out of it. And that's why I say I think the first time that Machev tries going for a takedown and gets stuffed and gets frustrated, this is where Oliveira is going to sneak something in very, very slick. And then, like I say, I think he's going to get a sub out of this one. I really yeah. do. Like, as wild as it sounds, I think he's going to sub him in the third. And then it's off to Volkanovski. Oliveira currently on a two-fight submission streak. Uh, submitted both Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier, both by rear naked choke. Uh, I'm going to go yeah. with I'm going to go with Oliveira too, just because uh, at the advice of my own legal counsel, uh, given the fact that Oliveira was pictured in the last week walking around with a lion on a chain, uh, I'm not going <laughs> to go against a man who's got access to a lion. 
That's yeah, logic. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you ever want to look up JJ Arms, look it up. It's he's an awesome ex detective that I used to have an action figure of. But I'm hijacking conversation. <laughs> he used to walk tigers and lions and stuff as well. But yeah, Oliver plus one fifty, which so yeah, Oliver is not the favorite. Plus three hundred for a straight submission. I think this is what gets scary. I think if you don't see Oliveira submit him by the third round, things get sweaty. Makachev can hold him down. Yeah. Have a bad feeling at that point. If it goes the distance, I think Makachev wins. And if you're a Makachev believer, I think it's a great bet at plus 450 decision. But I agree. I think Oliveira's the guy. I think he gets it done with the submission. And I think it's, yeah, second, third round probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then how crazy is that fight going to be? No matter who wins this, he's got Volkanovski lined up. UFC is reporting uh, that he's he's going to be the backup, uh, which is crazy. Because, I mean, obviously, we know Oliveira had the weight cut issues last time. I don't think we'll see a, a repeat of that. I think he knows too much is on the line for this one. And especially they have backup fighters waiting. I think that's a smart thing now to do mm-hmm. so we don't have another Chimaev Diaz situation. But no matter what, this is the fight of the year to watch. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts on UFC 280? How are you th- seeing the fights going, and like, how excited are you for this fight? This is one that I we always stress about with how much the UFC fight cards cost. This one justifies the means, folks. Let me tell you, if you're going to buy one fight card this year, this is the one to do it. Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial or, well, your phone, your watch, or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack, and I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 and Nerdy podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andnerdypod. Check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you, nerds. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast with Mike from the Multiverse of Badness in the house. Yo, yo. Can't wait to get it. Not one shot in. We've we've come across a possible conspiracy theory. Uh Uh-oh. Uh, so get a couple things to talk about here on my end first. Uh, looking at the Binghamton Black Bears uh, upcoming schedule, they played two games this past week, uh, both of them against the Elmira Mammoth. Uh, they won their first game. Holy fucking shit. I'm, I, I got to admit, I, I did not get to enough hockey games last year uh, here in the 607. I got to get to more of these games. Won their first game of the year at home, fucking 10 to 1. What? This is this is ice hockey too. This is ice hockey. Yes, not field hockey, not you know street hockey. Ice hockey. Beat the Elmira Mammoth ten to one, and then they came back on Saturday. This was on the road in Elmira. Beat them by the final score of six to three. Uh, they've got two upcoming games this weekend. Both of them are at home, uh, playing the Mississippi Sea Wolves. Uh, both of these games are at seven o'clock Eastern. One on Friday, one on Saturday. Uh, for more information, tickets, and all that good stuff, BinghamtonBlackBears.com. Get out if you're in the area. Get out and see one of these games, folks. Because as it appears for the first two games, defense optional. Yeah, 
Yeah, 10-1 in hockey. I'm sorry, that doesn't happen. Unless, of course, you're the New York Rangers, Blue Shirt Nation all day, every day, uh, looking really good right out the gate right now. That's all the hockey news we need to talk about. Uh, A couple other things to talk about, the first of which is uh, martial arts related, fight related. I don't know what the fuck this is, but it came across the wire and I was like, what the fuck is this? Uh, Dana White's getting into a new league, new combat sports adventure, this time slap fighting. What? Yeah. So reading from an article on ESPN.com, it reads, quote, uh, UFC president Dana White's new combat sports venture, Slap Fighting, will be a licensed athletic competition in Nevada. Dana White's Power Slap League will be regulated and overseen by the Nevada State Athletic Commission following a vote Tuesday in Las Vegas at the commission's monthly meeting. UFC Chief Business Officer Hunter Campbell, who is part of the promotion's ownership group, gave a presentation of the new league to the commissioners. Campbell told ESPN that those involved with Power Slap League have worked with commission officials, including Chairman Stephen Klubeck, Executive Director Jeff Mullen, and Joel Becker from the Nevada Attorney General's Office over the past year to test slap fighting and work on a rule set and structure that will be based on MMA. Power Slap League will also have similar similar medical requirements, weight classes, and matchmaking to MMA. Uh, close quote. So, hey, slap boxing's coming to fucking Nevada. Oh, my God. I, I have no words for this one. Mike, what do you got on this? I'll tell you what. This actually makes me the saddest I've been since the day Rick James passed away. Because if he were still alive, he would be the instant number one contender for slap fight. Hell yes. Hell yes. If this is anything like the videos I've seen out of, like, Russia or, or like, someplace out that neck of the woods and, the like, viral videos of people just winding back and slapping the abs- absolute loving shit out That's of people. It is. This is going to be wild. Like, I think I, I think we found Alistair Overeem's next venture. Oh, my God. No, just the amount of wild shit that's going to be involved with this. Like, I'm here for it, but I'm going to be like, oh, this is going to be like, this is going to be like TikTok's downfall because it's half the videos you see on there. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, lastly, and certainly not leastly, uh, we got an uh, announcement for the NFL schedule of this uh, upcoming season in 2023, and that there will be a game on Friday, folks. Not just any Friday. Black Friday. Uh, So reading from an article on ESPN.com, it reads, quote, the NFL will expand to Black Friday beginning next season. The league announced Tuesday that Amazon Prime Video will stream a game on the day after Thanksgiving. The first Black Friday game will kick off at 3 p.m. Eastern on November 23rd, 2023. The teams will be announced in May when regular season schedule is expected to be released. Close quote. Hmm. So not not entirely surprising. Uh, You know, Black Friday, big day of the year here in the United States. Yeah, not super shocking, but yeah, did not see this one coming. No. Consider this. This actually makes a lot more sense than you even think on the surface, and I'll tell you why. You said that Amazon is going to be the one showing this? Yes, they are. So let me get this straight. You have another reason to stay home and shop from home using Amazon and not go get your specials out in the wild? Mm. Well, well-placed theory. Might be onto something. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense, come to think of it. They're taking over everything. <laughs> allegedly, they're taking over this podcast. Yeah. Allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Mike, what do you got for your one-shots? Okay, well, first off, I have to say I live in the lovely state of Tennessee, and my daughter actually goes to the University of Tennessee. Right across from her apartment, the University of Tennessee volunteers beat Alabama, which, of course, is shocking in any year. I think they yeah. Uh, Pad was saying it's been since the last iPhone that this occurred. Uh, from since the first, since the first iPhone. Oh. Okay. Well, of course, Tennessee people are going to Tennessee people, and some <laughs> of the fans went absolutely batshit. Not only did they take 
the goalpost down, which is expected. For some reason, they started ripping up the grass at Neyland Stadium, and now you can buy it on eBay. That's ish expected, but to <laughs> me, probably the funniest thing, if you are going to partake in purchasing said grass from the victory at Neyland Stadium, be aware that some of the grass being sold on eBay is actually not from the field, but from outside the stadium, so you're literally buying parking lot grass. Oh, that's dirty. Oh, that's dirty. Oh, I mean, it is this day and age where you can literally buy anything. Well, and I'm saying, let's not forget when Aaron Judge was up in Toronto going for you know the single season American League home run record. Some dude had a Ziploc baggie, opened it up in the stadium, closed it. And then tried to sell it on eBay as the air that was present during Aaron Judge's sixty second home sixty second home run. It's like the non pornographic fart in a jar. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know where you think to come up with these ideas, but it's like if somebody's buying them, I mean, more power if you're selling that. Because honest to God, I, I understand it's a monumental feat, but really, like, what are you going to do with grass? I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't either. But there is a conspiracy theory with this too, because. Uh, we do know somebody that was at that game. We do. And I know he listens to this podcast. He does. So Tyler Mack from the 30 and Nerdy podcast, we need to ask about your play-by-play from this event. Mm-hmm. And do you know anything about Grassgate? <laughs> <laughs> not saying that he's not saying that he's doing the outside grass or whatever, but we just want to know, like, obviously he goes to Tennessee games all the time. I'm sure he's got a take on this. And I'm sure that he is definitely going to have an opinion about this. If this is all with all this nonsense going on, I know he was super pumped as probably most every other college football fan outside of Alabama was to mm-hmm. see them, to see them lose. So yeah. it was a great win for Tennessee. I got to give him that, but Grassgate, Yeah. We need to investigate this and we're definitely have to go to start making some calls after this podcast. Uh, real quick, got some breaking news for you, folks. Hey, it actually happened while we were still recording. Uh, the New York Yankees have officially beaten the Cleveland Guardians in the American League Division Series to advance to the American League Championship Series. Uh, so the American League Championship Series will be between the Houston Asterisks uh, and the New York Yankees. And the National League Championship Series has already been decided and actually starts tonight as we record. Uh, it is the Philadelphia Phillies taking on the San Diego Padres. Mike, you, uh, you a big baseball fan? I'm not, but I do have to ask this formal question. Cleveland, who is your daddy? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You know, this one was a a fun series to watch, I got to admit, even as a Yankee fan, because I was hoping whoever won this went to the World Series, Mm because, Pad, what do we say at at the end of each episode? Fuck the Astros. Yes, we'll say that a lot for the next couple weeks, because fuck the Astros. We are not a supporting Houston 100% here. And, I, you know, coming out of the NL, I listen, I'm already going to put it out there, because this is complete Hollywood. It's going to be San Diego mm-hmm. because they haven't been there in, uh, what, 30 years? Since, since uh, ironically, the, the late 90s when uh, who beat them again? Oh, the New York Yankees. Oh, that's right. And wait, you got, wait but if Philly gets there, what's going to happen? And it happens to be the Yankees. How'd that one go? Oh, yeah. The Yankees beat them in 2009. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you have a little more story, but I think there's a little more box office sizzle with San Diego getting there. So I'm just going to say the karma is out there. I mean, listen, if San Diego gets there and happens to win the World Series, Robinson Cano gets a, a World Series uh, ring. Yeah, we can't have that happen. He was there for a cup of tea, but he still gets a fucking ring. Yeah, we definitely can't have that happen. So Yankees all day, every day. Rep BX, let's go. Uh, so my one shots, one quick wrestling one, because what kind of podcast would it be if we didn't talk a little wrestling? And actually some more AEW good news. 
which it just came out the uh, press release uh, sent to us by the fine folks at All Elite Wrestling, that Chris Jericho has signed an extension with AEW through 2025, increasing roles and responsibility. So, quote, Tony Khan has announced that Chris Jericho, the Ring of Honor world champion and leader of the Jericho Appreciation Society, has signed a contract extension through December 2025, keeping sports entertainment alive and well in AEW for the foreseeable future. Jericho will also increase his responsibilities within AEW, serving as a producer and creative advisor, in addition to continuing as a mentor to young talent, end quote. Pad, any thoughts on this? Uh, makes sense. You know, I don't necessarily see him going back to WWE in any capacity, except for maybe like the Hall of Fame, inevitable Hall of Fame induction he'll get at some point down the road. You know, if he seems to be having fun with with all elite wrestling, and he, and he very clearly is one of the locker room leaders and, and somebody that a lot of folks, you know, guys and girls look up to in that locker room. So it makes all the sense in the world for him. Now, Mike, you're not a big wrestling fan, are you? I'm on and off, uh, but I do know enough. Stu has told me enough that he is sick of Chris Jericho being the champion of AEW. So if anything, Chris Jericho, if you are in charge of anything, look at yourself as champion, buddy. Here, here. I am with you. I know that like they're doing the separate brand right now in Ring of Honor, and, and that's a very messy situation because they don't have a TV deal for that brand yet, so they're combining them on all the programming, and it's, and it's just getting very congested, I think is probably the nicest way to put it. So hopefully they get something worked out and Jericho as creative advisor could only help, but they need a lot of help in a lot of different areas. So if you want to hear more in-depth coverage on that 607 TWS this week, we have a brand new episode out with rich from three FN breaking down everything with AEW WWE. And if you even want more pro wrestling content, we'll simply swing on over to odphpodcast.com. parlay points, blog section of brand new blogs. Count anywhere is out right now. Talking NWA hard times, three MLW Fightland, and even more AEW content. Cause that's what we like to give you. But before we head on out of here, there's still a very big event kicking off today, or should I say tipping off? Ah, see what you did there. Pad, what am I talking about? The NBA. Basketball is my favorite sport. Yes. So obviously this season, a lot of familiar faces are coming back. There's a lot of parody, I would say, in the league, probably closer that we haven't had yeah. in recent years. Yeah. How do you feel this season is going to go? Should be real interesting. I mean, you got LeBron James, 20th season in the NBA, which is fucking wild to think about. And also, I'm not going to look up the numbers. You can crunch it at home. He's within, like, sneezing distance of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for number one on the all-time scoring list. So you got to figure that'll come at some point during the season. You know, Golden State, will they be able to sort out the mess between uh, Draymond Green and Jordan Poole, who just got his massive extension? Can Brooklyn figure their shit out? Is no. is Harden going to be able to look halfway decent in Philly? You know, what the hell's going to happen with the Knicks? Well, we'll see. Mike, you got any feelings on the season? Uh, I know there was a lot of trading that happened, and I'm very interested to see how the Minnesota Timberwolves play out since oh, they got the defensive specialist now alongside of uh, you know, some some interesting pieces. I don't think they're going to be that good. I think there's too much in the middle. But regardless of that, uh, Memphis Grizzlies, of course, John Morant, uh, they are like plus two, like plus two thousand right now. I take them. I tell you, don't I shot. take that. I, I love it. You know, John Morant is such an exciting to me, the most exciting player in the NBA. So yeah, uh, wherever he goes, I go. So yeah, John Morant, Memphis, go for it, guys. Yeah, this season, I think Memphis could definitely make a run. I think that they were on the cusp last year. I think they're looking better this season, so I definitely think they're going to be in that finals talk. I think Phoenix is going to have a, a fallback season. I don't think they're going to be in the finals per se. I think it's going to get very interesting, though, 
in the East. And I know that the heavy pick by all the uh, quote unquote analysts is Milwaukee. Hmm. They're all they're already saying that they're looking healthy. They're going to definitely sneak back in. I don't doubt them coming back. It's just a matter of the East is just such a tricky field to call. Mm-hmm. But if you have Giannis there and they really have that spark again, I think that can only help. I think Boston, I think, unfortunately, they're going to have a setback year. I don't think they're going to be contending as well. I do like the 76ers getting back in this. I think James Harden, the fact that it sounded like he was buying back in to Philly, I think was a good sign. Like everything I've heard this offseason with him has been a, mm-hmm. a plus. Mm-hmm. Then obviously we got to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> Mike, do you have any feelings on Brooklyn? Uh, I don't personally, but I hear that that is a pretty common subject to discuss here, and I hear it's not always a good one. No, it's not. I know that people are saying that this is going to be the year, and let's face it, we've been saying that now for how many years? Four, I think, at this point. Yeah, I lose track because, quite frankly, they can't put it together. Three or four. It's basically like if Arkham Asylum was a basketball team. That is legit the way you can describe the Nets. Yeah. The Nets are the, they have all the talent in the world to go take over and conquer, and yet they find ways to mess up. You have Kevin Durant, who is an MVP type caliber player each year, and and there's no question of that. I always say on the court, he shows up. Off the court, you never really know what the cohesiveness is with that squad because he is playing. You have Kyrie Irving, who you never know what you're going to get out of him. Uh-huh. And I think, unfortunately... Oh, yes, you do. It's bananas. That's <laughs> all you have to worry about. If you want anything consistently out of Kyrie Irving, it's that you get nothing but bananas mental behavior. Yeah, and that's the thing that they can't rely on if they're going to make a deep run. He is just not going to be that guy to lead that team. I'm sorry. At this stage, I think their smartest move they could do is trade him for Russell Westbrook in L.A. Oh, Jesus. I, in all honesty, like Ugh. I think that's the only thing you can do at this situation because, I mean, the Lakers are you know, going to rely on LeBron, and obviously they're going to contend if Anthony Davis is healthy. Westbrook, who knows what you're going to get. I think the smartest thing is to get him out of town anywhere and get a, a guard in there that can actually shoot. I know he had a, a bad season last year, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to sit there – and fault him on that completely. I mean, hey, listen, they got the real MVP, Patrick Beverly. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they got they got Bev. They'll be fine. But I think I'll say it, this. Okay. I know enough about Russell Westbrook. I haven't followed the NBA in about a year and a half. I apologize. That's why I'm trying to no, stay man, out good. of my lane here. But I know two things. First off, Malcolm Brogdon is going to make noise in Boston. I think he's going to make them a whole lot better team. Secondly, Russell Westbrook can't shoot. And I don't think you can trade him one for one, regardless of what he offers you from a, you know, he's a big body guard, but Kyrie Irving at this point in his career, I don't know how the numbers point out, but even with Kyrie being, you know, borderline, you know, insane, I don't think it's a fair trade. I don't think, I don't think the Nets would touch Westbrook for Kyrie. Let's try the old ESPN trade machine. Yeah. I was going to say, well, Pat, you're looking at that. I think they would just for the sanity reasons. Like, in all honesty, if you're going to pay a superstar to be on that team that's not producing, you might as well get one that's not going to disrupt your entire locker room. And unfortunately, Kyrie's track record speaks for itself. Uh, according to the ESPN trade machine, which you can find at ESPN.com slash NBA slash trade machine, uh, this trade does not work. Uh, and the reason being is, quote, the Nets are over the luxury tax threshold with this trade and the incoming aggregate salaries exceeded by what's allowed via the 125% plus $100,000 rule. Uh, they would need to cut $795,291 from the Nets' incoming trade value to make this trade successful. 
Yeah, send picks, send something. They'll make it uh, happen. You need to send a player. It's money related. We'll, we'll figure something out. I mean, that, that's the whole thing. For Brooklyn to succeed, I'm sorry. Anybody buying into Ben Simmons has found his game again, I'm sorry. Until he can actually start hitting some jump shots, I'm not worried about him at all. So for Brooklyn, but the East is so parodied, they could sneak in and, and get to, you know, maybe out of the first round. Because, I mean, what happened last year, Pat? Uh, they got swept. Yes, they did. So... <laughs> I think that could happen again. I'm not doubting it, but I think with how they ended the off season and with all the, I want out. No, I want out. No, you're staying. No, I'm going to leave. Well, you say, well, I can say, no, I can't. Yeah, I got to leave. Like all that drama Mm -hmm. that wears on your psyche, and especially in a big market city like New York, that is going to take its toll. This is literally the year where it's put up or shut up. You've got Kevin Durant, who is, I would presume healthy. We haven't heard anything. There hasn't been as far any, as I know, he's good. There hasn't been any rumors or hearsay about oh, he's not hundred percent. No, for all we know, Kevin Durant is hundred percent. There are there is no issues or nothing standing in the way from Kyrie Irving, you know, playing a full season. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no mandates. There's no nothing going on. And Ben Simmons seemingly has his back issue or whatever the hell it is taken care of. There is no reason for this team on paper to at least make the playoffs and win a series. Yeah. If you don't at least, I would say, make it to the conference finals. I won't even say win the NBA finals or win, make it to the NBA finals. If they don't at least make it to the conference finals with this team, it's a failure. Blow the team up. Trade everybody. Get rid of it. I fully agree with you. I, you're going to have to. There's no excuse. No, there, not, there, There's nothing to like, oh, well, Kevin Durant missed most of the year because of his Achilles injury. Oh, Kyrie missed most of the year because of his injury. No, there's no excuse. There's nothing at this stage of the game. They they need to get it together, otherwise you got to implode that team. And we were saying they should implode in the offseason. So now, Brooklyn, you dig that hole, you're going to have to lie in it. I'm sorry. You're not going to get anywhere with the squad. Milwaukee should win this. I could see Miami pulling it together, but let's face it, we've been saying Miami should have done this, and they just they don't find a way to pull it off in the playoffs ever. And that's the sad thing, because they're probably yeah. the most complete team in the East. Yeah. But it's going to be an interesting season to watch with them. Obviously, we got to talk some Knicks basketball very quickly. They're, yeah, yeah they should be good. Uh, they are tipping off on Wednesday uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. I mean, obviously, Jalen Brunson is now with the team. I think that's going to help him at point guard. They need somebody to spark that offense. Jay, you know, Julius Randle, he needs to find his way back to being a assistant piece to the puzzle. He's not the all-star MVP. He's going to be a role player, and that's what he should be doing. And at this stage, I'm sorry, R.J. Barrett still needs to progress, and I think he's on the right track. So this team is not going to be as bad, I think. I think a lot of the youth of this team is going to take over. It just depends on if they can gel together, and that's going to be the biggest factor. And if Randall can keep his emotions for New York in check. If he can't, it's going to be a long season with that. But with that said, I'm going to give you my predictions. I'm going to say it's going to be the Los Angeles Clippers in the finals. Oh, interesting. And it's going to be the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'm going to say Bucks in seven, just for reasons. So that said, Mike, before we let you go, first and foremost, thank you for coming on the show. You are welcome back anytime. Please let the fine folks know where to find you and the multiverse of badness. Well, first off, thank you for having me on the show. I had a great time. Sorry I couldn't add much in the way of basketball or uh, anything other outside of UFC, but I can add comic book stupidity along with my co-host on our podcast at the Multiverse of Badness. You can reach us on Twitter at Multiverse of Bad, on TikTok at Multiverse of Badness. Send us an email at why are the Brooklyn Nets terrible? 
reasons at <laughs> multiverseofbad.com. We will literally get anything at multiverseofbad.com. No shit, so send me there. But no, seriously, thank you guys for having me on. This has been a blast. I love talking UFC. Uh, it is my favorite sport to watch, so I'm, I know a little bit about it, but hopefully I don't lose too much of your money if you're following uh, the picks that I was giving you. Yeah, we always say, you bet at your own advice, folks. We don't tell you to spend the money. We just say, if you're going to, this is what we would do. But we take no fault if you decide to go all in on something. Just putting that out there. The disclaimer is in the notes of this po- this podcast. If not, it will be by the time we're done recording. Uh, <laughs> that said, for the one and only Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. For anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. I am your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Gotta beat down to the punch. Gotta beat down to the punch. Cause they can't bring me.